0: Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, evangelist TJ Malcanji. Mark Mark chapter 11, can't talk about faith without talking about Mark chapter 11, Mark 11, and let's start (laughs) with verse 20. Now in the morning, as they pass by... They saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you've cursed has withered away. And Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Or a better translation would read, have the God kind of faith or the faith of God. For assuredly, I say to you, so Jesus says, this is what faith is going to do. So Jesus doesn't say you should have the faith of God and then not explain what the faith of God is. He explains how you can walk and operate the faith of God, the God level of faith, the God kind of faith, how the spirit of faith operates. He says, assuredly, I say to you, whosoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have received them and you will have them. Jesus was not an elementary, did not have an elementary understanding of what the faith of God was like. He is God. He he was there at the beginning. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Talking about Jesus coming to the earth. So Jesus understood the God kind of faith. He operated in the God kind of faith. And that faith is not a philosophical one. We have to get this out of our minds, that faith is philosophy. Or it's just proper theology. There are a lot of theologians that can accurately uh, write down the Holy Week, they can accurately put down the details of the Gospels. They can talk about soteriology and eschatology and pneumatology and all the ologies. But their life doesn't show that they actually have the faith of God at work in them. And the reason being is that there's no proof. Remember, Hebrews chapter 11 says faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of things not yet seen. So faith carries evidence. The spirit of faith will produce evidence. When there's no evidence, it's, it's, it's a, a, a sure marker that there's no faith. Or that that faith hasn't been grown to the point where it can actually produce something tangible. Faith is the substance. So faith is not an ethereal force. Faith is something... That when it's, it's operated in, or when it's, when, when it's used, when it's released from a person, it produces something substantial, it's substance. It's not ethereal. It's not mystical. It's not an energy in the room. That's what New Age spiritualism teaches, that faith is just good vibes and maintaining a good heart and good, good vibes and good energy and positive energy. That's not what faith is. Faith, has, faith is positive, but faith is not the positive energy that they like to talk about. Faith is is a substance. It's something that when you have it, you know you have it. You're not scratching your head wondering, do I have faith? When you have faith, it's impossible to not know that you have it because it's unignorable. It it pumps through your veins. It's a spirit called faith. James actually says, just like the body without a functioning heart is dead, even so, faith without works is dead. So, just like you don't have to tell whether someone's alive or not, they look dead, their body decays, starts to stink. In the same vein, you can tell when somebody's faith has dried up or somebody's faith has died. You know, Jesus said in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, 31, he turned to Peter and said, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. He might destroy you. Remember, the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. But that life doesn't just automatically drop on people. It's the faith force that connects you to that life abundance. It is faith that connects you. It's like the pipeline that connects you and guarantees the flow of that abundant life into your own very life, into your very own life. And so Jesus said, Satan's desire to sift you as wheat, to destroy you, to strike you down dead. But I have prayed for you, Jesus said. Why? So that your faith does not fail. So that you don't experience faith failure heart failure leads to a dead body faith failure leads to a dead spirit a dead spirit a dead spiritual life remember the bible says constantly from old testament to new testament habakkuk 2:4 the just will live by their faith the bible says in romans 1:17 the righteous live by faith hebrews 10:38 The the soul that draws back, my heart shall have no pleasure in him, for the just shall live by his faith. Galatians 3.11, the just shall live by faith. Many times, the Bible is constantly reminding people that the quality of life you're going to enjoy on the earth will be a function of the quality of faith that you have in your heart. That's why I take time to preach on faith. I have had it with with like Christians that are constantly depending on one revival service to another revival service, from one conference to another conference, from one man of God to another man of God, they're spiritual leeches. They're trying to always build off another person's faith and never take responsibility to actually develop and grow their own faith. And that's why they remain spiritual infants, constantly tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. They go into a revival service. They experience the gifts of the Spirit. A powerful move of the Holy Ghost in in manifestation. They get healed. They get delivered. A week later, they feel a symptom of the the sickness they thought left their body. And then they they automatically think, well, maybe I wasn't healed. Because they were in contact with the anointing, you know, the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So you can be in a spirit-charged atmosphere and experience freedom. But until you learn how to cooperate and flow... With the principles and spirit of faith, that freedom is going to be is not going to be long lasting. It's going to be short lived. It's going to be short lived because it's it's faith that brings total victory. Whatsoever is born of God has overcome the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And the Bible doesn't say in Second Corinthians five seven, the Bible doesn't say that the the uh, we walk not by sight, but we walk by the gifts of the Spirit. It doesn't say we don't walk by sight, but we walk by um, by 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 the the working of miracles. It says we walk not by sight, but we do walk by faith. So signs and wonders. I love signs and wonders. I preach on signs and wonders. I've seen signs and wonders not only in my own life, but in my meetings. I've seen blind eyes come open. I. I've seen the gifts of the Holy Ghost in manifestation, Particularly the working of miracles where people have come out of wheelchairs, deaf ears, unstopped, withered uh, broken hands and broken bones being restored on the spot. I've seen it. I love it. Jesus said these signs will follow. But it doesn't just say these signs will follow anybody. It says these signs are going to follow them that believe. So even the lifestyle of, of signs and wonders. You can be in a service, experience an encounter with God. But if you don't have your own faith... Signs and wonders are never going to be following you. You're constantly going to be chasing down signs and wonders everywhere you go. You're constantly going to be trying to to find a, a conference that is on signs and wonders. Chasing signs and wonders. Thinking that if I'll just go there, I'll see signs and wonders for me. Or if I'll just go there, I'll connect with that ministry. I'll see signs and wonders for me. Instead of doing what the Bible says, and that is to sit to sit under the teaching of the word, so as to develop your own faith, wherein now, signs and wonders start chasing you, where it's not you going from conference to conference, it's even after the conference, the power of God is still in manifestation in your life, even after the, the, the last day of the conference, where the last speaker says amen, it's a lot of people, I mean, I grew up in church, I heard Con- uh, youth conferences. I went to youth conferences, and they said the same thing over and over again. Some of you had a mountaintop experience, but look, the reality is, <coughs> you're going to go to your schools. You're going to be surrounded by the world, and and it's it's not going to get easy from here on out. It's going to be tough, and it's a total violation of what the Bible teaches. It doesn't say that when you go to a conference, you're going to be on the mountaintop. But then once the meeting's done, you're gonna you're on your own, baby. No, it says even after the con- even after the conference. Is over. Even Jesus didn't say, you know, while I'm here, you're going to see a marvelous manifestation of the power of God. But once I go up, you know, you're on your own. He said, once I go, I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost. And if you'll walk in faith and by the spirit of faith, what you've seen done, the Bible says in John 14, 12, what you have seen me do, you will do because you have believed that I've come forth from the father. So it's not what you saw Jesus do. You know, we got to wait. Uh, we gotta wait till the next revival week at our church before we start seeing that happen again. No, the scripture says it very clearly. Because you have believed in me, the works that you've seen me do, you will do, and greater works. And that's where God wants to take you. It's enough. Uh, you know, if you just got saved, there, there's a grace period. You know the Bible says, as a newborn babe, desire the pure milk of the word. There's a grace period where you can feed off the milk of the word, and and uh, and God will put people around you that will help you and 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 keep you up and and build you up and all that. But if you've been saved for a year, two years, three years, and you're still drinking baby milk from the word, you know the Bible says, listen to this, Hebrews chapter five, Hebrews chapter five, and beginning with verse twelve. The Bible says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers of the word, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. So the word is not just all milk. There's milk, that, just like a woman when she gives birth, the baby latches on to the nipple to take breast milk and that's necessary and they say six months to a year is recommended. It's necessary for a time for the child to just drink. You can't give them steak. You can't give them vegetables. Their stomach's going to reject it. It's actually almost lethal to them. You have to give them milk the breast milk from the mother so that they can grow. The Bible says as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. But there comes a point where you have to grow into spiritual maturity where the, the milk of the word um, is is no longer, you know, the Bible says you're no longer to go through the, the principles of, of the Word of God, the, the basic things, the elementary teachings, but you press on to maturity, and you start eating solid food. You start to live just like a, my child. Now he goes into the, he's two and a half years old, he goes into the fridge, and he grabs out his own Yoker, and he grabs his own, you know, whatever, his cheese sticks and whatnot that he likes eating. He didn't do that when he was six months. He had no ability. But as he fed on breast milk, he grew to the point where he has the strength and the height necessary to open up that fridge and start eating himself. And that's what I want to preach on today. It's where you come to a point where you're not depending on another person's faith, you carry the spirit of faith. You operate by the principles of faith. You become responsible in the development of your own faith. You know how many times I've heard it? I can't go to that church anymore. I just feel like I'm not being fed by the word. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes, the, you know, the, they're not preaching the word and so they're not being fed by the word. Of course, there's there are times like that. There are situations like that. However, most of the time, I'd probably say nine out of ten times, it has nothing to do with the pastor. It has everything to do with that person spiritually immature that they just depend on pastor's one-hour sermonette on Sunday morning to, to, to get them through the week and it ain't working. If I told you, hey, I want you to start having a diet where you have uh, you have 30 minutes a week where you can just fill up your belly with whatever you want, but the rest of the week you're not eating. Well, after the third week, fourth week, you'd, you'd look different from the first week. You wouldn't have the same uh, physical structure. You'd look emaciated. You'd look skinny. You'd look energy less. You'd look weak. You'd look frail. You'd need, you'd look like you need a defibrillator to charge you back up again. Well, that's how some people are spiritually. They depend on pastors, one hour sermonette on Sunday morning, and most of the time it's not even an hour, it's half an hour or 40 minutes, and then they think that that's going to get them through the week, when in reality, Jesus said that you are to what? Jesus said in the, the Lord's Prayer, you are to... To, to ask the Lord this day give me my daily bread well what is the daily bread he said it when he was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan he said man does not live by bread alone but by every word the word of God is the bread you have to take in daily to nourish your spirit man so that you're not frail and faulty and literally on a lifeline but that your faith is strong, and that through strong faith, you're subduing kingdoms, you're obtaining promises, you're out of weakness becoming strong. The Bible says you're turning to flight the armies of aliens, and you're having victory in life. Victory is not not supposed to be a a far-reaching thing for the believer. Victory is not supposed to be (coughs) some... Hope or dream for the believer. Victory is to be a lifestyle that the believer enjoys. The Bible says, thanks be unto God, who always leads us to triumph in all things by Christ Jesus. So, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Well, if you were in like medieval days and you, they gave you a sword and they said, go to war, and every time you went to war, you never won because you weren't skilled with that sword, you'd complain and say maybe there's something wrong with the sword. And that's what people that's what people do. Maybe there's something wrong with the Bible. When in reality it has nothing to do with the word, it has nothing to do with the sword. It's that there's some people that are skilled in God's word, in that they know how to study it, they know how to receive it, they know how to believe it, they know how to act on it. They don't just confess the word. They're professional skilled workers of the word. And you know that's a scriptural thing. Hebrews says, "We are to uh, hold fast the profession of our faith, there's a vast difference between someone who confesses the word and someone who's who, who 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 professes the word. Someone who confesses the word is someone who who can quote every scripture. You know, they know the word inside out, but they don't actually do what it says to do. Faith is not just in confession; faith is in action. If your faith does not carry corresponding action, then your faith is fake. There's That's why I talked about the evidence of faith. You know, Jesus told the people in John chapter 2 at the wedding of Cana of Galilee to fill up the water pots with water. Well, if they had just looked at Jesus and said, well, that guy's crazy. We don't need water. We need wine. Why am I going to waste my time filling up water pots and then risk my job? Because if I bring this to the master of the feast, he's going to fire me. Instead, what did they do? Whatever he said to do, they did it. They began to pump, and it's not like today where you can turn on a faucet and just have water flow freely. They had to pump that water. They had to work it. I'm sure they had thoughts crossing their mind. What are we doing? But something in their heart, cons- uh, in their heart compelled them to take action on what Jesus said. And that's what I'm talking about today. The spirit of faith that in spite of the foolish actions you might be taking in obedience to the word of God. Understand this. Faith carries a certain level of foolishness in the eyes of the world, but it's an honorable thing in God's eyes, in God's, in God's point of view. Faith, it may be foolish before the eyes of this world, but before God, he it, it's an honorable thing. There is a certain foolishness of faith. And until you're ready to be considered a fool for Christ, you're not entitled to Christ's blessing and Christ's abundant life. I mean, there's so many... Examples in scripture that talk about this foolishness of faith. So many people who, <clears throat> if they were, until they, until they accepted the foolishness of faith, they couldn't partake of faith's blessing. That's why the Bible says, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, that the, the, the gospel is foolishness to them that are perishing. But to those who are the called, it is the power of God. It was foolish. I'm sure in the people that were watching the people, the men pumping water into the water pots, when they clearly received an instruction to provide more wine, I'm sure they looked at them and they said, these guys are crazy. These guys are off the racks. These guys haven't taken their medication today. But they kept pumping. And because they took foolish steps of faith, they were entitled to eat and taste and see of the reward of faith. Paul said, Even the foolish things of God are wiser than men. So what God sees as wise might be taken as foolish before men. I mean, look at David. David goes to Saul and says, I'm going to kill Goliath. Saul was like, what are you talking about? You're going to kill Goliath? Look at the size of you. Look at the size of him. Look at how long you've been fighting. Look at how long he's been fighting. Look at how frail and weak your arms are. Look at how strong his... His armor bearer has to be like a a, um, a bodybuilder just to carry the shield and javelin that he has, and you're you're expecting to go in with just a few smooth stones and a sling. You're you're you have cut yourself out. I mean, you're cut out for your work. Saul thought David was foolish. Because David was operating by the frequency of faith, whereas Saul was a, a man ruled and governed by sense knowledge. What's the difference? Well, faith is governed by revelation knowledge, and, f- and, um, and, and the flesh, carnal people, are governed by sense knowledge. What's the difference? Sense knowledge is ruled by what you can see, what you can hear, what you can feel, what you can touch. Whereas revelation knowledge is ruled and governed by the word of God. So this is where a lot of people get, they, they, they lose the understanding of what I'm saying. They, they, they can't comprehend what I'm saying. Because you tell someone that they should start confessing that by his stripes they're healed. And they get confused because they say, well, I don't feel healed. Well, the x-ray doesn't show that I'm healed. The report doesn't seem to to say that, and so they they cannot comprehend, they can't grasp it, because what they're seeing is counter-opposite to what the Word of God says, and because they don't have revelation, there's a difference between agreeing with the Word of God and actually having revelation of God's Word and what God's Word says. A lot of Christians agree with God's word. They believe in the Holy Ghost. They believe in the Trinity. They believe in the virgin birth. They believe in the resurrection of Christ. They, they say that, you know, these are all factual things. They, they agree with the statements of fact. But merely agreeing with what is factually correct does not constitute faith. Faith is not just agreement with facts. Faith is not just saying, well, yes, I hold to the same set of beliefs. Faith is not just saying or being able to doctrinally uh, pen down proper theological uh, positions and statements. Faith is having a deep understanding of what those things mean and pertain to me. I'll give you an example. There's people that read, by his stripes we are healed. Day in and day out. They, They know the scripture. They can quote it. But then the doctor says, you have this problem. You have that. You have a tumor in your body. And their immediate reaction is, I have a tumor in my body. Uh, Doctor said, I have this long to live. And they go by what the doctor says. Because though they believe, the scripture says, by his stripes we're healed. It hasn't, they haven't taken, it hasn't rooted into their heart. To the point where they start to see that. Though the fact is there's a tumor, the truth states that by his stripes I'm healed. And as a result, they've cut themselves off from God's power to actually heal them. Faith is not of the mind. Faith is not in, it's not just in your thoughts. Faith goes deep down into the heart. The Bible says in Romans 10, it is with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with his mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What's the heart of man? There's a difference between the mind and the heart of man. The, the head, the mind, has to do with your your, your emotions and your will and your, your thought processes. Your heart is your spirit man. And that's where the true you remind, re- resides. It's the core of who you are. When the word of God is in your mind, it's on the wayside. That's where the enemy can come and snatch away the word. That's when uh, it's sown on shallow ground. It has a very shallow understanding of the word. It hasn't gotten deeply rooted in your heart. That's when the enemy can attack and take it away. That's when when I- immediately when the sun rises and tribulation or problems arise because of the word. It withers up and it doesn't produce. That's, that's the mind. It, it's when the, the seed is sown in a soil. When the word of God comes only into your mind, it is sown in a soil that is uh, susceptible to doubt, susceptible to unbelief, susceptible to failure. But when the word of God gets into your heart, that's when Jesus said it's sown on the good ground that indeed produces good fruit, 30, 60, 100, 100 fold according to your level of understanding. So, when we talk about the spirit of faith, we're talking about faith That is residing in the spirit man. So I was talking about before how mental ascent faith and spirit uh, driven faith is different. And people that that don't understand the spirit of faith and confession and operating the principles of faith. They oftentimes will say things like, you know, that's... that's, that's dishonest. To tell someone that they should confess healing when they're not healed is dishonest. I'll confess healing when I feel healed. And God's accomplished the work. That person reveals that they have a total misunderstanding as to what faith is. Faith is not a futuristic thing. Faith is not one day God will do it. Faith is a present tense thing. Faith has to do with the now. How do we know that? Hebrews 11:1 says, now faith is... The evidence of things not yet seen. So faith is not in the future. Faith is now. You can't mistake hope and faith. And expect to be to, to arrive at the blessings that faith can produce. A lot of people confuse hope with faith. Hope says one day I'll have it. Hope believes that in a set time. And God's due time. That I'll get healed. And I'll receive my breakthrough. Whereas faith understands That everything God will ever do has already been accomplished in the person and the work of Jesus Christ so that I don't have to look forward to a futuristic event. I can look back to what the cross has done for me, what the cross has accomplished, the triumph of the cross, and instead of trying to reach forward to something, I can tap in To the magnanimous power of God that is already available to us because of redemption and the work of Jesus at the cross at Calvary. That's the difference. So people that say, I will not confess healing until I'm healed, they miss on the point that Jesus already accomplished healing for us at the cross And so we're not lying when we say by his stripes we are healed because that was already sealed 2,000 years ago when stripes were laid on Jesus' back to purchase your physical healing. So when you're saying things like, you know, I know one day God's going to do it. He'll do something. You're saying God hasn't done it. And you're in hope. I choose to say, Because he took stripes on his back and healing's been purchased for the redeemed, I'm not going to be healed. I is healed. I am healed right here and right now. It's like, I mean, how many of you would pray a prayer like this? Father, I know one day you're going to save me from my sin. You wouldn't do that? Why? Because the Bible says he was pierced through for our transgressions, that he was nailed to the cross for our sins. He bore our sins. And he who (coughs) knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we're not going around saying, I know one day I'm going to be saved. We're not hoping for salvation. The Bible doesn't say, and those who hope for salvation will be saved. It says that those who believe with the heart and confess with the mouth will be saved. I believe that the moment Jesus bled on that tree, the necessary price for my redemption was paid. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 and 14 that he has taken away the certificate of debt. The debt that we owed to God that we couldn't pay on our own. Not enough money in our, in our bank accounts to pay off God. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And we have all, the Bible says, uh, died in sin. And there was, the gap between us and God was too large. No man can build a bridge to repair it. But what we couldn't do in the flesh, Jesus did and accomplished. (coughs) He took the, the Bible says, the certificate of debt. He took your debt and he annulled it. He nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the tree. And he said, tetelestai, it is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai, which was a financial term that says the debt's paid. It's canceled out. Well, now that I I look back to the cross and I see the debt's paid, I'm not saying, well, one day God's going to pay my debt. He has paid my debt. So what do I say? My confession is not one day I will be saved. My confession is I am saved. The same thing goes for deliverance. The Bible doesn't say he will deliver us. It says he has delivered us. I'm convinced that most Christians that preach the the opposite, that, you know, it's all about believing God, one day your season's coming, all that. I'm convinced they just need a grade three English course to learn past, present, and future tense verbs because they're confused. Colossians 1.13, or yeah, one thirteen says, he has delivered us from the powers of darkness. I had someone come up to me recently and said, brother, I just feel like I'm, I'm in, in captivity. To a spirit of, uh, a, a hindering spirit, they said. I feel like I'm bound by a hindering spirit. And I said, well, sister, the Bible says he has delivered you from the powers of darkness. So as long as you keep confessing that you're bound to some hindering spirit, well, that spirit's going to take advantage of your lack of insight in the word of God as to what God's already done for you. And he's going to take advantage. He's going to move in. And it's because of my people have lack of knowledge that they're destroyed. You give power to the devil... When you confess things that are opposite to God's truth concerning you. You give power to the devil. That's why Paul said, we don't give a foothold to the devil. You got to be careful as to what you speak, what you say. Because your words are either going to deliver you or they're going to defile you. Your words are either going to open up prison doors for your life or they're going to shut and seal the prison doors that God's already opened for your life your words are either going to build you up or they're going to pull you down your words either going to slam the door on the devil or your words are going to open up the door to the devil to come in and have a free uh, play date in your life so you got to be careful as to what you speak Got to be careful as to what you say. Remember Jesus said, you will say. And what you believe, uh, the words that you believe, Mark 11, 23, whatsoever you say, if you believe that those things which you say will come to pass, you will have whatsoever you say. Well, that spiritual law doesn't just apply for positive things and good things. That applies for the opposite. You will have what you say. It's not just for the good things. It applies, you confess sickness, you'll have plenty of it. You confess death, you'll have plenty of it. You confess poverty, you'll have plenty of it. The devil will gladly accommodate your negative confessions. You confess victory, you'll you'll have plenty of it. What you speak about will multiply in your life. Speak about health, health will multiply and generate healthy living in your body and in your life. You speak about how hard things have been. Speak about how there's a flu going around. Speak about how uh, the economy is so unstable right now and you don't know what you're going to do. Hardships, trials, tribulation, and problems will multiply for you for free. But if you'll start to declare, that's why 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, we have the same spirit of faith that they had. Just as they believed and they spoke, so we believe and we speak. Faith is a speaking force. Until you're bold enough to unashamedly confess and boldly speak the word of God, you're not in faith. There was a, uh, when my, my uh, son was in my mother's, my mother's womb. When my son was in my wife's womb and uh, we were pregnant with our first baby. I remember we went to the doctors and they were talking about all kinds of vaccines and stuff. And they were explaining to my, my wife how uh, there's a particular vaccine that prevents jaundice in the child, or re- reduces the chances of jaundice in the child. And uh, she started to talk about what jaundice was, and I just let them speak. You know, I'm not trying to fight everybody. She's in the world. She doesn't know what I know. I'm not doing this broadcast so you can pick up your guns and go out and fight everybody that that um, that's speaking doubt or unbelief in your way. Treat, you know, the Bible says, receive those that are weak in faith, not over dis- not to dispute over doubtful things. So just... You know, don't find what you're, you have common ground on and focus on that. And that's what I did. I just let her talk and all that. But then she started to say, you know what? Your child can have jaundice. Well, the moment you start to pin things on me, or not pin things on me, but <clears throat> you start to speak things uh, in a personal manner concerning my child, especially now you've crossed over a line. So your child could have jaundice. I said, ma'am, there's no chance my child has jaundice. And then she said, oh, don't be arrogant. I mean, she literally told me that. Don't be arrogant. I said, no, the word of God says that I will not bring forth children for trouble. There is no chance. I said, there is zero chance my child has jaundice, ever. And you know, she was in her like 20th or 25th week of pregnancy, so it wasn't even near the date. So it's not like what she was saying had any type of bearing on my situation. Like they were projecting my child has John is, but she just she laid it on me. She she started to put that off on me. Well, I I I I put that down right away. I I I did not let those words float. I said there is a zero percent. That's what the spirit of faith does. It emboldens you that when people start to speak uh words that contradict. What God said you can have, you can't stay. It's a reactionary force. It's a violent thing. I'm not saying I yelled at her. Any, I just very calmly said, my child will never have jaundice. There's a 0% chance that my child has jaundice. Well, when the child was born, they send someone over in Canada. They send someone to the house to check the baby for jaundice and whatnot. They took my baby. And uh, the, I remember the nurse is very, it wasn't the same nurse, different nurse. This was weeks later. I had forgotten about that conversation with that lady. Weeks later, they take my baby, pick it up in their hands, and they put her put the put him right back down. And they said, "You know what? We're not even going to check if your child has jaundice." And I kid you not, the exact words that that CLSC nurse said was, "There is a zero percent chance your child has jaundice." Well, you can have what you say, because I didn't let those. You know, there's a lot of people that hear things like that and they say, oh, "You." Turn to their spouse and say, You know what? It's a possibility. You know, we got to keep our eyes open. Because you decided to entertain that thought, it becomes a possibility for you. But when you start shooting down those contradictory statements that fly in the face of what scripture says you can have, you start to enjoy what scripture says you can have. Jesus' words prove true. You can have what you say. And the Holy Spirit in that moment reminded me of what I said weeks before when I said there was a 0% chance that my child has jaundice. That CLSC nurse could have chosen any words. She could have said your child doesn't have jaundice. She could have said we're not going to check for jaundice today. She she could have said anything. But the fact that she used those exact words, there's a 0% chance your child has jaundice. The Holy Ghost in that very moment reminded me of those words I said 15 weeks before that. And confidently asserted what Mark 11:23 already had stated you can have what you say 2 Corinthians 4:13 we have the same spirit of faith even as they had they believe <coughs> they they <coughs> they believe therefore they spoke even so we believe and therefore we speak we speak faith's a speaking force you had the 12 spies go out and spy out the same land They saw the same trees, the same grapes, the same giants, the same problems, and the same blessings. And the Bible says that 10 came back and said, we can by no means ever get this. The giants are too big. The walls are fortified to heaven. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. We're too small. We're too little. We're too weak to get it all. And then the two... Joshua and Caleb, that Numbers 14, 26 says they had another spirit. Well, what was that other spirit? It's a spirit of faith. How did they react? It's not that people that have the spirit of faith don't, uh, aren't challenged with the same challenges. It's not that we live in some different world where we don't have the same problems. It's that in the face of opposition... Some choose to look at the giants. Some choose to look at the fortified walls. Some choose to look at the size of the opposition. People that carry the spirit of faith choose to look and meditate and consider and look on the promise and the reward. David saw Goliath. It's not like David had you know, poor eyesight and he's like, he's not that big. And then when he got closer, he's like, uh-oh, he actually is nine foot six or 10 foot. He actually is much bigger than I thought. It's not that we see different things. It's that, what did David say? Goliath came and tried to intimidate him because that's what the devil will try to do after this broadcast. You're going to get some knucklehead call you and say, hey, did you hear about this, that, and that? Well, we really got to watch out because the devil will make sure that he gets people around you that will speak words that intimidate you, suppress your faith, and snuff out the fire of faith in you. David When Goliath came to him, Goliath said, what am I, a dog? You're coming to me with sticks and stones? I'm going to cut you down today. I'll feed your body to the birds of the air. You know what David said? I don't come with sticks and stones alone. I come in the name of the Lord of Heaven's armies. And he said, this day I'm going to cut your head off. So David chose to look at the size of his God rather than the size of his problem. And that's the problem with many believers today. They get into a good Holy Ghost service, have some sort of momentary breakthrough, and then the moment another problem arises, or the same problem that they just broke free from arises, they start to focus in and consider the symptoms, the problems, the opposition, the adversary, rather than doing what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, while we look not on the things which are seen, but we look on the things which are not seen, which is the word of God. We don't look on the things which are seen. We look on the things which are not seen. Romans 4, 17. Through the end of the chapter, Paul says that Abraham, the secret to Abraham's faith was that he did not consider his own body, which was as good as dead. But he looked to what? He considered him who was faithful and was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. So Abraham did not consider his own body. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't look at the, the age of Sarah. He didn't look at the wrinkles on his skin. And get discouraged. Because you know I'm way too old to have a child now. Plus I'm like, I'm pushing on a hundred now. How am I supposed to raise a five year old? He didn't look at the problems. And the severity of the opposition. He The Bible says. Romans 4. Let me read it. Romans chapter 4. the secret to Abraham's faith was that he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. You look at your problems, you're going to breed unbelief. You know, words will either produce faith in you or unbelief in you. And the words you hear are either going to generate doubt or generate faith in you. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Well faith also leaveth by hearing. And hearing by the words of men. And hearing the words of, 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 of negative reports. You know the Bible says fi- by faith the elders obtained a good report. And the scripture says in Proverbs. That a good report makes the bones healthy. When you focus on the good report which is God's word. It infuses life into you. Infuses strength. It gives you endurance to keep believing God. When you expose and overexpose yourself to negative reports, it breeds discouragement and contempt towards God's word. And you start to think of the natural route. You start to think of a plan B. You start to think of, you know, if this doesn't work out, what can I do? And you start to lean on the arm of flesh. And you start to lean on the arms of government and the arms of of whatever. Human institutions. uh, Abraham didn't waver at the promise of God because he was disciplined on not considering the problems around him. He considered one thing and that was God's word. You know, Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is the evidence of things not yet seen. That means faith has evidence. Well, what's the evidence? Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So what is the generator of faith, where's the source of faith? The word of God. So you can actually interchangeably use faith and the word of God in the scriptures. And instead we can say Hebrews 11, one says, now the word of God is the substance of things hoped for and the word of God is the evidence of things not yet seen. So the word of God is the evidence, it's what gives evidence to our faith. I heard a preacher say it this way, there is the duality of existence. There are things that exist in the spiritual world and things that exist in the natural world. And everything that exists in the natural world first existed in the spiritual world. So when the Bible says the word of God is the evidence of things not yet seen or not yet perceived by the senses, it is saying that the word of God is pulling evidence of something that exists, but it doesn't exist in the realm where you can see it with the senses right here and right now. But it does exist. That's why I was saying before. People say, you know, you can't tell people to say by his stripes they're healed when they're not so clearly not healed. The x-ray shows that it's not healed. The word of God is evidence to me that though I don't see it yet with the physical senses, it's not yet perceived with my eyes and my ears and my feelings and my touch. It's still there. That's why Paul says we don't look on the things that we can perceive with our natural senses. We have to discipline ourselves, and this is what the spirit of faith does. It disciplines you to focus in on the things not yet perceived with the senses, but are very real in the spiritual realm, and that's what Brother Hagen used to always say. Faith is an empowering force that allows you to stretch forth in the unseen realm of the spiritual realm and pull it down into the natural realm into the physical realm that's what faith does you look at let, let's read 2 kings this is a perfect example of what i'm saying 2 kings chapter 6 verse 8 Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you don't pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. And the king of Israel sent someone to the place which the man of God told him. Thus he warned him and was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants to to himself and said, Will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, O Lord, none, Lord, my king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the things which you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, so that I may send him and get him. And it was told, He is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early in the morning... And when out, there was an army surrounded in the city, uh, surrounding the city, sorry, with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha answered, Don't fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open this man's eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Perfect example of what I'm saying. The man, the servant of the man of God, came out and saw the same horses, the same spears, the same javelins, the same army that was encamped around the city with one purpose in mind, to arrest Elisha and bring him to the king of Syria. What did it produce in him? Fear. His reaction, because he was governed by the senses, his reaction was that of fear. He operated in in the sense knowledge realm, and so fear struck his heart and paralyzed him. He said, what can we do? He came to Elisha, and Elisha had an answer. Elisha's answer was different Because Elisha was seeing what that man couldn't see and wasn't seeing. All that man saw was the problem ahead of him. Elisha had his spiritual eyes open to see that his backing was greater than what was opposing him. The power at work for him was exponentially greater than the power that was at work against him. And that governed his his confession. What did Elisha say? Elisha said, don't fear. Don't fear. He had no reason to be afraid because he understood that if God is for him and that there are more with him than those against him, then he knew that his tomorrow was going to be all right because the Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Do not fear for there's more with us than there are against us. And he said, I pray Open my servant's eyes that he may see. Because the servant of Elisha couldn't see. And I'm not talking about spiritual eyes necessarily and seeing angels and seeing demons and seeing all that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God lifting up. Remember this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is important. I hope this is helping you. Because this is going to help you to go from being a constant victim of the devil and a constant victim of defeat and doubt A constant victim of fear, constantly slapped around by every negative news story from being that to someone who no matter what the world's going through, no matter what the opposition is, no matter the calamities, no matter the tribulation, no matter the problems that may come your way, the spirit of faith alive in you enables you to... Confess a different thing, and speak a different thing, and believe a different thing, because you're seeing a different thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4 and 3, but even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, if it's covered, if it's hidden, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the Bible says that Satan does one thing. Satan's main attack towards believers is to get them to be veiled to the truth, to get them to be blinded to the truth. Because the moment you're veiled from what God has said, you are disarmed and helpless in obtaining what God wants you to have in life. That's why the Bible says, my people are destroyed. Not because the devil's too strong for them, not because... The problems are too great for them, not because Goliath's too tall for them, not because they're experiencing some unprecedented or um, unparalleled situation, something no man has ever seen. No, the Bible says there's no problem that has come to you that is not common to men. It's not some uncommon thing. It's a problem that's common to men. But the Bible says my people are destroyed because they have no knowledge. And they have no knowledge because they're veiled. So when I'm talking about seeing today, I'm talking about seeing your inheritance in God's word. I'm talking about having the veil of unbelief broken off from your life where you're able to under... What do I mean by seeing? Well, when you try to explain something to someone and they can't get it, and then you do an hour, an hour and a half, three hours, and finally the person says, Ah! I see it. What are they telling you? They're saying, what they're saying um, is I understand it. So when we talk about seeing, we're talking about understanding. Those two terms are, terms are interchangeable. So faith grows when your understanding of the word of God comes alive. And when it becomes a deep understanding. There's too many shallow Christians They have a very shallow understanding of God's word, and it leads to shallow results. You know, I wrote down, there's actually four levels of faith. There's the no faith level. Those are people who have no understanding of God's word. And so because of it, they have no no faith. Mark 4, uh, 46 to the end of the chapter, the Bible says, They were at sea, and a great storm arose. And the disciples were running helter-skelter like chickens without heads, Wondering why Jesus was letting them perish and they came to Jesus and said, do you not care that we're dying here? Do something about the storm. Jesus arose, rebuked the storm and told the disciples, how is it that you have no faith? How is it that you have no faith? So there's a no faith level. These are people now, when you get saved, you have a measure of faith. The Bible says in Romans 12, 3, we've all received a measure of faith. But if you do nothing with that faith, the Bible says that that faith can fail. That faith can actually dry up. Those people, Mark chapter 4, they had faith. Mark 3, they had seen Jesus uh, command a withered hand to... to to be restored as whole as the other. They had seen Jesus cast out demons. They had seen the authority of Christ. They had a level of faith in Christ. But somewhere down the line, when they saw the boisterous winds and they saw the enormity of the storm and they were threatened with their lives by the storm, the Bible says that that faith dried up and they had no faith. Jesus said, how is it that you have no faith? There's the no faith level. No faith, no results. There's the little faith level. Peter had the little faith. You know, Matthew chapter 14, the Bible says he saw Jesus walking on the water and he said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. Jesus said, come. And initially, he had a level of faith that empowered him to actually step out of the boat. But because it was a little faith, it wasn't a developed faith. He had enough faith to get out of the boat, but he didn't have enough faith to actually walk to, to walk to the point where he had Jesus in his hands. Because the moment he looked at the wind boisterous and the waves of the sea, the Bible says that he began to sink. That little faith, he had enough to get out, but it wasn't enough to sustain him. Little faith is susceptible to doubt. Little faith is susceptible to circumstances changing and affecting their faith level. Little faith, um, though it can accomplish some things, it's susceptible and weak in the face of great challenges. Little faith will produce little results. Then there's great faith. Great faith is in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus has a, the centurion man come to him and says, Come to my house, for my servant is lying dreadfully tormented and paralyzed, but come and lay your hands on him and you'll be healed. As the, man's on the as Jesus is on the way to the centurion's house, the centurion sends a delegation of troops to him and says, Hey, I realize I'm not even worthy that you should enter into my roof, under my roof. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus was astonished, and he marveled, and he said, I've never seen such faith, not even in Israel, not even in all of Israel, he said, I've never seen such great faith, not even in all of Israel, he called that great faith, that's the third level of faith, great faith, no faith, no results, little faith, little results, great faith, great results, Jesus turned to the centurion's servant, uh, to the centurion's uh, people that he had sent out, and he said, Go and tell the centurion, as he has believed, so let it be done to him. Great faith commands great results at will. Matthew chapter 15, a Syrophoenician, a Gentile woman, comes to Jesus. Lord, come, heal my daughter. She's demon possessed. He answers, her not a word. She perseveres. She keeps on asking and she worships him. Says, son of David, have mercy. The disciple said, send her away. She's annoying us. That's how most preachers are. They try and get around the work of ministry. It's unfortunate, but it's true. There's a lot of ministers that try to get around the work of ministry. They try to be like referral centers. People come to them seeking help from God, and what do they do? Well, you know, I have a good uh, therapist. He can help you with this. You know, we have a good financial advisor. He can help you with this. Oh, we have a good. We have. I have a good doctor actually who specializes in that field. We can. They become a referral a referral center rather than a solution center. Constantly trying to pin people's problems out, you know, contracting this work elsewhere. We're not contractors at preachers, as preachers. Jesus wasn't contracting his work out to psychologists and therapists and, and doctors and physicians in his day. Jesus met the needs with his power, and it changed their life. Preachers ought to do no nothing different. But those disciples didn't learn that yet. And so they tried to what? Send her away. But Jesus turned to her and said, it's not good to give the children's bread to the little dogs. She said, yes, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus said, great is your faith. Great is your faith. As you have believed, so let it be done to you. You know what great faith does? When your faith is great, God will never say no. Great faith causes God, God's no to turn to a Yes. Jesus had no plans on healing that lady that day. He actually said it's not good to give the children's bread. It wasn't the time. It wasn't the time for the Gentile kingdom to reap the benefits of the gospel. The gospel is first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. It wasn't the time for the gospel to be opened up to the Gentile. Jesus had to first pitch his invitation to the Jews and then, and then he would send out servants to the rest of the world which happened in Paul and Peter. But that woman turned Jesus' no into a yes, because when your faith says yes, yes, God will never say no. When your faith says yes, God will never say no. Because faith pleases God. And when God is pleased, the Bible says he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So there's the great faith level. That produces great results. And then there's the spirit of faith. The spirit of faith. Which is the violent dimension of faith. Where do we see the spirit of faith operated in the Bible? Mark chapter 5. The women with the issue of blood. Here's about Jesus. She has a problem in her body that if she was found outside of quarantine, she would have been stoned on the spot. You know what she did? She didn't care. The spirit of faith... Cares not for the opinions of men. The spirit of faith discards and disregards what other people's uh, opinions or criticisms are of what their actions are, are. Are what their actions are. The spirit of faith does not care about other people's criticisms as to what they're doing. She pressed through the crowd, and she said, "If I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well." The spirit of faith is careless of of the natural consequences of their actions, because they know that if they can just tap in to God's power, none of it will matter anyways. That's what David did. David was careless, little teenage boy, charging. David didn't walk and tippy-toe up to Goliath. He didn't have some strategic plan. He charged Goliath. The Bible says he ran at him with a stone and a sling. That, uh, the spirit of faith will empower you to empower you to do insane things. Things that other people are going to look at and say, that's, this guy needs to use a little wisdom. And that's where the whole use wisdom thing comes and irritates people of faith. Because people who don't carry the spirit of faith and wish they did, because they're seeing you take steps, they should be taking and know to take. Because they don't take it, they say, this man's not using wisdom. They should use wisdom. They criticize. David's brothers. Hey, aren't there enough sheep in her father's house? Go back and tend to them. You're just a person of war. You're an arrogant, prideful person, an insolent person. You're here for the wrong motives. You're not acting wisely. What did I quote before? 1 Corinthians 1. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. But make no mistake, the foolish steps that God requires a man of faith to take will be foolish in the eyes of the world. You'll be criticized. Jesus comes into a a little girl's home who had just died and the parents came and asked him to come and heal, heal their daughter. On the way there, the child dies. The mourners are there. They're playing their flutes and horns. They're crying and sobbing. The cousins and relatives and siblings are all weeping, wishing that this little girl at 12 years old had not died prematurely. What does Jesus do? Hey, what are you guys weeping for? This girl's not dead. She's sleeping. And they ridiculed him. They mocked him, they scorned him. Make no mistake, when you step out in faith, people are going to mock you. They will say all kinds of evil things against you, they will accuse you. When Caleb and Joshua in Numbers chapter 13 stood up and said, yes the giants are big, yes the cities are fortified, but With God on our side, we are well able to take possession of the land. Because God gave it to us in the first place. And the giants will be bread for us to eat. What happened? Did everyone say, oh, praise the Lord. What an encouraging word from Brother Caleb and Brother Joshua today. Well, uh, praise the Lord. We're going to have them run a revival week this week. That's not what they did. They picked up stones to stone, Joshua and Caleb. People of faith have always been hated throughout history. Martin Luther... What did he say? The just shall live by faith in the Reformation age. Pinned the 95 theses to the the Catholic door. He said the just shall live by faith. He came with the faith movement, the faith message. Well, how was that met met with? What was that met with? It wasn't met with consolation and, 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 and great reception. It was met with antagonists and haters and resistance. You look at the word of, the, the word of faith people, Kenneth Hagin, who taught people the principles of faith, the, the, that, that uh, faith is governed by what you say, and that you got to keep watch on the words that you say, and it's all throughout scripture, the life and death is in the power of, of your tongue, and they that, that love it shall eat of its fruit, and they started to talk about it. Mark eleven twenty four 24, that whatsoever things ye believe when you pray, believe that you have, that you have them, and you'll have them. They taught the principles of faith. How were they met? Criticism. Heavy criticism. Guys like Teal Osborne writing books on how you can believe God for healing. What was he met with? Heavy criticism. It's irresponsible to tell people that they can believe God for healing. You know, healing is just a matter of God's sovereignty. Amen. Where is that even in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. People of faith are always ridiculed. Jesus, what did he do? He put them outside. He took Peter, James, and John and the parents of the child and they came in and, and, and raised the child up from the dead. So what do you do? You just cut, peop- cut the voices of unbelief off from your life. Cut them off. I'm not saying be rude to them, never talk to them again. If there are people in your family, don't go to the family reunions. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that don't allow in your inner circle People that constantly are feeding unbelief to your life. Guard your heart, the Bible says. You can never operate by the spirit of faith if you're constantly ingesting the voice of unbelief. You will never operate in the spirit of faith if you're constantly taking in the reports of unbelief, the voice of unbelief. You have to guard your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. Caleb and Joshua, how did their, now it's interesting to note, the ten spies that spoke were not able. What happened to their life? How How did their story turn out? They were not able, they never ate a fruit in the promised land. The Bible says, God said, as they have spoken in the hearing of my ears, so shall I do to them. But as for Joshua and Caleb, they will lead my people into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb in that entire generation were the only ones that tasted of the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The rest, their own voice of unbelief, their own confession cut them off from the supply of God's goodness. Joshua and Caleb had another spirit that empowered them to speak another report and enable them to receive another another testimony, another report, another story. It's the spirit of faith. See, I can teach you the principles of faith all, you know, that's why today I, I dealt with the spirit of faith because we can go through the principles of faith. We can talk about, you know, the power of confession and I talked about it a bit. We can talk about... uh we can talk about the principle of obedience and the Abrahamic order of faith, and I'm going to talk about that uh, probably this week on some of our recordings. We can talk about uh, the the understanding of your righteousness in order for you to operate the principles of faith. We can do. We can go through all that, but until you have the spirit of faith, the principles, you're just going to go in this vicious cycle of frustration, trying, trying to do the principles, trying to apply the principles. You need the spirit of faith. Look at Daniel. Gets thrown into a lion's den. Do you think he was like, okay, I need, to, I need to take care of my confession. I can't confess that these lions are intimidating me. I've got to take every thought captive right now. Do you think Daniel was, was going through the process of the principles of faith in that moment when he was facing a fierce, ravenous, hungry lion? No. He was empowered by the spirit of faith that he went to bed in the midst of hungry lions. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't have time to build up the principles of faith in their heart. When they were tossed into a burning, fiery furnace, they carried the spirit of faith, that empowered them to say, our God is able, our God is willing, even if he didn't, we know we would never bow anyways, which wasn't a confession of doubt, they weren't saying, you know, there is a possibility that he doesn't. They were saying, Nebuchadnezzar, we wanna show you our love for God. That even, we know he's able, we know he's going to, but even if he didn't, even if we'd serve the God that wasn't able or wasn't willing to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace, I want to make it known to you we wouldn't bow anyways. That's what they were saying. They weren't confessing doubt mingled in with their faith. They were saying God's able and God's going to deliver us. But let, let it be known to you, even if he didn't deliver, deliver us, we'd rather burn obeying God than bow to you. And what happened? They got thrown into the fiery furnace. And the Bible says the flames had no power over them. Neither did they smell like smoke. The only thing that burnt off their life was the the ropes that bound their hands. And they escaped that fiery furnace free, delivered with another testimony under testimony belt. That's what the spirit of faith will do to you. They weren't trying, they weren't in the fiery furnace saying, oh, uh, these flames don't hurt me, these flames don't hurt me, these flames don't hurt me. That's where people get it wrong. They think faith has to do with your mind, positive confession, that faith is, is, uh, is some philosophy that we hold to, or some theory, just principles. No, faith is a spiritual power that draws its life from the spiritual word of God that produces living proofs in our lives it's a spiritual power drawn from the spiritual word of God that produces spirit uh, living proofs in our lives produces proof if you're going through mental agony thinking like you're believing God ah, I'm just trying to keep positive Do you believe you're not in faith one of the and I would say the capital Evidence of faith is rest. When you truly believe God, there is a, when the spirit of faith is in you, there is a rest that comes on you. What do I mean by rest? A peace that surpasses all understanding. Daniel is resting in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are resting in a fiery furnace. Jesus is resting in the stern on that boat while the disciples were panicking. The Bible says, may the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy as you believe. The Bible says in Isaiah, he that believeth shall not make haste, meaning he's not going to panic. When you're in a state of panic and a state of unrest, it is proof that you're not in faith, that the spirit of faith isn't governing your life and your actions. Unrest is proof that, th- that faith is absent from your, from your life. Unrest is proof that faith is absent from your life. You can know you're in faith when you have joy unspeakable and full of glory on the inside of you. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. Bishop David Oyedepo, his wife tells him one afternoon, says, "I went to the hospital today. I was bleeding. We, I, we had a miscarriage. You know what he did? It can't be. Can I have my food, please?" And she served him food. And at the exact due date that that child was to come, they had a baby. Perfectly healthy baby. That's the spirit of faith at work. He didn't say, oh my gosh, miscarriage." Let's go into the word. We need to find out what... Because he had so built up the word of God, pumped it into his being, into his very core. He, you know, he understood. In Deuteronomy it says that um Deuteronomy 7:14 none of your none of your women shall be barren nor miscarry in the land that I'm giving you none of your women shall be barren nor shall they miscarry so because he had the word so built up he didn't even have to quote it he just said it can't be his confession was founded upon upon the truth of God's word the foundational truth of God's word it can't be when you start to see this as not a book of promises, but an action, a law book, a constitution that shows you what's yours and what's not yours, what can't be in your life and what can be in your life, you'll speak different. You'll speak different. So I, I, I didn't tell that woman, that nurse, that said your child may have jaundice uh, before the child was even born. I didn't say, well, no, actually, you know... You know, it, it, it. My Bible actually says opposite to that. We, you know, let's go through some scriptures. Or, I just said it's impossible. There's a zero percent chance my child has jaundice because I had already pumped the word into my spirit. I didn't have to strive to get. A, too many people are trying to get a word. I'm going to go to that conference. I just hope they give me a word. I just need a word right now. You're looking for everybody else's word. Why not Why not look in, dive into this word and build it in, charge it into your spirit, man, so that you don't fail in the day of adversity. Proverbs 24.10. He that fails in the day of adversity is because his strength is too small. If you fail in the day of adversity, what does that mean? If you fail in the day of trial, if you fail in the day of challenge, your strength is too small. The strength of your faith is too small. If you are failing in life, whatever, that's what I do. I take a tally of my life financially, physically, uh, family, relationships, ministry. Am I failing or coming short in any of those areas? If I am. I don't just say, Father, would you just change that? I locate a word. I study to show myself approved in what God has said concerning that area. I build my faith up. If if it looks like finances are running dry, I don't... Oh, Father, open up the windows of heaven over my life. I don't do that. I find out what God... I build up my spirit, man, with what God says concerning finances. I apply in faith those principles and then things begin to flow and move and continue on. I don't complain about where I'm falling short. If I fail in a day of adversity, if I failed at something, if I'm not thriving, but I'm striving in an area, I know it's because my faith deposit in my spirit is weak in that area. So I go on an explorative study of the word of God to discover what God says concerning pertaining to that specific area. I build myself up on my most holy faith. And then the Bible says, as you have belief, so be it unto you. As my faith is charged, it'll cause me to do things differently, takes necessary steps and actions. And when I do that, as I have belief, so be it unto me. Restlessness is a proof. I I don't get restless. If I am restless about something, if I start to have thoughts of of, uh, not being able to pay my bills or whatever, or I start to have thoughts, you know, there's a virus going around. I I don't just start panicking and calling my physician, hey, or going on WebMD, what are the symptoms for this? I build up my heart's faith warehouse. I start to put deposits in it, my faith reservoir, I start to, 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 to load the word into it, and as I do that, the restlessness, restlessness leaves, faith comes alive, and it brings the victory, so how do you operate, in, how do you receive the spirit of faith, there's two, and only two ways, first of all, it's not taught. You can't teach someone the spirit of faith. I can teach you the principles of faith and I'm going to teach you the principles of faith this week on this broadcast. But you can't just be taught the principles of faith. Uh, You can't just be taught the spirit of faith. The spirit of faith is caught by impartation through two different ways. Number one, through the, the words, written word, books. You could study the gospels and then study men of God that had it like Smith Wigglesworth. When you read The Apostle of Faith uh, by Stanley Frochman, which is an account of Smith Wigglesworth's life, his his biography, and what he's done, and how he operated, and how he reacted to certain situations, you'll, through the media of books, you'll actually get an impartation of the spirit of faith. You'll get it. You'll, You'll start to carry the same boldness. Bishop Oedepo said in reading that book, Apostle of Faith by Stanley Fransham, on the life of Smith Wigglesworth, that he had an impartation of the spirit of faith that gave him a a superiority complex over the devil and witches. The very next service he conducted, he said, he's in Africa, he said, how many of you are witches in this place? And um, a few people lifted their hands. I say, I'm not saying you confess you're a witch. You're an actual practicing witch. Lift your hand. And a few of them lifted their hand with like, they, they meant business. They wanted to challenge him. He said, come up here. And he, he, he just cast the devil out of them. And it was a, it was a crazy... There was one lady that said uh, that she was a witch. And he, Bishop Oedepo turned to her and said, the Bible says thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. If you're a witch, die. And the lady died on the spot. She said she was a witch. The Bible says thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. And uh, on the spot. He said then die. She died on the spot. There was a superiority. He wasn't going around, oh, I hope they don't cast spells on me today. He was going around taking business into his own hands by the power of faith in him. So number one way to receive impartation of the spirit of faith is through the written word, the Bible, and then reading books on people that carry the same spirit of faith. And then two is by getting into the meetings, live meetings of those that carry the spirit of faith. You go and sit under, you want to operate in a gift? You sit under a gift. There are people on planet earth that carry the spirit of faith. That are seeing impossible things done in their ministries. Because of the spirit of faith. I mean, you look at a guy, he's not alive anymore, but Benson Hosa carried the spirit of faith. You don't raise several people from the dead uh, by God's sovereignty. (laughs) That man used faith to get that done. So you find people that carry the spirit of faith. Pastor Rodney Howard Brown carries the spirit of faith. You don't do what he's doing at the level he's doing with just natural faith or saving faith. There's a a gift that God's put on that man's life. There's something he's tapped into that enables him to, to operate that way. So what do I do? I go every year to his meetings and I sit in his meetings and I listen to what he has to say and I sit in that atmosphere and I receive deposits of this. I receive. I, I'm telling you, most of what we do in the ministry, uh, the plans and the programs that we have came from sitting in those, those meetings and receiving from the men of God. So I sit under someone who carries a spirit of faith. It's impossible to operate in the spirit of faith if you're, you're listening to preachers that just pump unbelief into you. Always trying to rationalize why things don't happen. Connect with ministers and preachers that preach faith. That impart this grace called faith. The Bible says, I long to be with you so that I might impart some spiritual grace, some spiritual gift to you to the end that you should be established. Someone said he discipled Lester Sumrall. Yeah, Smith Wigglesworth discipled Lester Sumrall. When you read Lester Sumrall's book... Uh, faith to change the world. There's an impartation of the spirit of faith in that book. So those are the two ways to get, to carry, to to not only carry, to receive the spirit of faith and walk in the spirit of faith. I hope this broadcast helped you today. Let me pray for you. Father, I ask you from this broadcast that there'd be an impartation of the spirit of faith on those that watched and listened to it, those that are weary and grow, growing weary in well-doing, in operating in the principles of faith. Father, let the spirit of faith put a new wind in their spirit. A, a strength and stamina to keep believing you to the end, knowing that you're too faithful to fail. That what you said you would do, you will do and accomplish in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, let the spirit of faith that was on Caleb and Joshua come on the people listening and watching to this broadcast. That when everyone's saying, we can't do it, that they begin to Boldly and unreservedly say, we can by all means, all means take possession because God already said we can have it and if God said I can have it, then I'll have it and nothing will get in the way. People like David that would rise up in the face of giants and say, and not be intimidated by the size of problems, but rather crush the problems by focusing on the size of God and the size of your power that's available to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Maokanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.